I saw this show built to spill at Slim's and these guys were hanging out at the bar right before the, they went up for their set. And I remember just kind of chatting one of them up like, and getting really like stoked in the fact that someone can make a living or at least survive uh, doing the thing they want to do. And so when I went back to work the following Monday, I remember I made the decision to leave the toy company and just be bold. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about finding your unexpected path to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and a writer and an artist, and I am really excited to bring you today's episode. We are talking to my friend and artist and designer, Mick Gaspe. Mick talks all about his upbringing. He moved from the Philippines as a young child. He talks about going into art school, eventually finding his way to earning his MFA at CCA here in San Francisco. He talks about what it's like moving from full-time to freelance and the kind of mix of work he has these days as an artist and also as the creative lead and visual designer at Fearn, which is a new kind of furniture company here in San Francisco. Mick does all the packaging and lookbooks and all of that outside of the actual furniture making. So you're going to hear from Mick about how he kind of went about building this independent creative career. And he also has really wonderful advice about how to stick it out, stick with it during those off times when things are not moving at the pace in terms of the freelance projects coming in that you wish it was going at. And also what to do when it's an overwhelming amount of work and it may seem like it's too much to handle. I'm really excited for you all to hear this episode. So let's get started. Mick, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Yeah, good to see you. We yeah. know each other outside of this venue. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's exciting to talk to you for the podcast and learn more about you and, and share more of your story with, with listeners, too. I want to start by where you grew up, because you grew up in the, in the Bay Area, I think. or or Yeah, well, I was born in the Philippines, and I moved here when I was nine, my okay. dad was studying at Stanford, so that's where we moved to. And my mom still lives down in Palo Alto. So from nine years to high school, I was in Palo Alto. And how much of your upbringing do you feel like was influenced by your time in the Philippines? Because that's, I mean, that's a, a long time oh, as yeah. a child. Yeah, and then I would go home like almost every year. Not, you know, every other year at least. Um yeah, it'd be a trip going back and forth uh, between the Philippines and Palo Alto, California, opposite worlds. Yeah. And when did you move to San Francisco from? I moved up South. here 1999. Okay. For undergrad. Nice. To study art in the city? Yeah. Illustration graph design at California College. Uh, well, back then it was the California College of Arts and Crafts, okay. which is now the California College of the Arts, okay. CCA. Nice. And did you get your grad school degree there as well? I did. And I was going to say it was like accidental, but I wasn't planning to go to getting my MFA. I got a job there doing IT work. Okay. After college, you, you got a job there? Kind of a long story. So 
after undergrad, I worked for a toy company. Uh, color forms. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, what of color course. forms are so fun. You, they would like stick to the board and yeah, there are these yeah. like vinyl stickers yeah. that you uh, peel and stick and create little dioramas. It's a really old company, like over sixty years old. And I used to do packaging and components for them. That was my first full time job out of school. Um, and they're still here uh, in the mission on Harrison and Seventeenth. Can people still get color forms? Yeah, they <laughs> that's can. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I loved that when I was a kid. So, how long were you there for before you 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 went to IT? I was there maybe two years, okay, um, or maybe just shy of two years. I don't remember anymore. <laughs> but I then started working for this um, small little boutique called Upper Playground, and I helped start their little gallery. Yeah. Which is now called 5024SF, but back then we just called it Upper Playground Gallery. Um, and I ran it with my friend Chris McNally. And, you know, we didn't really know anything about running a gallery space. <laughs> I just was a neighbor. I lived on in Lower Haight, on, above Mad Dog in the Fog, on Haight and Fillmore. Nice. And so did you put on shows there? Yeah. So I had a show there with Chris, and then they asked us if we wanted to run the space, and so we did. We turned it, we formalized it into a little gallery, and I did that for about a year and bartended and worked odd jobs, um, working as a concierge at this bed and breakfast called the Archbishop's Mansion in Alamo Square. Okay. Um, you know, you kind of have to hustle. Right. So after I quit my full-time job, it was that was like... Essentially, when the city imploded in uh, jobs, like that was like post boom, mm -hmm. the first dot com boom. So that was what, like early two thousand one, two thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, so you, you you quit your job and then you quit my job, and then I thought, you know, there's so many jobs in the city, <laughs> right. like whatever, I'll run this like gallery. Yeah, and then it just dried up, and literally all my friends left the city at that time. And so I was working multiple jobs just to kind of like hang around. And and I knew I didn't really want a, a full-time job. Not yet, you know? Yeah. Um, until I started getting desperate. <laughs> Did you, do you think you would have made that decision to kind of go out on a limb and work in this gallery and just figure you'll get some jobs if you knew the impending kind of economic crisis that was going to come? No, probably I <laughs> probably would have chickened out. Um, yeah, no, I had one, I mean, it sounds a little cheesy. I, I saw this, uh, show built to spill at Slim's and these guys were hanging out at the bar right before the, they went up for their set. And I remember just kind of chatting one of them up like, and getting really like stoked in the fact that someone can make a living or at least survive, uh, doing the thing they want to do. And so when I went back to work the following Monday, I remember I made the decision to leave the toy company and just be bold. What did they say to you, or was it less about the words they used and just more about seeing them kind of just doing it and living life as a band and, and being creative for a living? Yeah, definitely the latter. Like, it wasn't a specific thing they said. It was more like witnessing the life they were living. Yeah. You know, they've been, you know, they're still playing music to this day. At that point, they had been playing music for a while, and um, it was really inspiring. Yeah. So I was like, 
yeah, why couldn't I do the thing that I wanted to do? But yeah. I didn't really have like a concrete idea what it was that I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to work at that company anymore. Right. Well, speaking of that, I mean, did you have this idea of being creative for a living or being an artist? Obviously, that's what you studied in college. Were you into the arts and creativity from a very early age where you didn't you knew that was more or less the path for you? Yeah. I mean, it was more of like a general direction. Um, I've always, you know, drawn, made paintings, um, interested in kind of creative activities, but I never really, you know, formalized like, I, yes, I want to be a, an artist and, you know, labeled myself as, as such. Right. And so when did you eventually, what did you do after the gallery and those odd jobs did eventually kind of, you realize you had to so I got get more stable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I got that job at CCA. Um, and you were doing, you were doing IT work? At, yeah. Or educational technology. So which is IT for, right. you know, an academic setting. Yeah. Um, so like the technology that faces like the students and faculty, right? Um, so not, not really art Anything design. remotely yeah. <laughs> related to anything I've studied or, you know, done in the past. Um, I think I got the job because I, you know, knew how to work with wide format printers and they had newly acquired some uh, new printers and they were looking for someone that can help um, their students on the Oakland campus use this like wide format printer. And I felt like that was my angle in my interview and (laughs) I got the job. So yeah, I managed, um, what was my title there? User support manager. Okay. <laughs> you know, very dry right. work. But I thought I was only going to be there a couple of years. You know, I had this like financial plan, like, all right, reach this much in savings and then I'm going to like leave. Right. But when I worked there and I was kind of back in that environment that was already familiar to me, um, I started making friends with graduate students um, and kind of getting into conversation of fine art and you know after a while realized that you kind of need certain uh, let's say like a license like a your mfa it's Mm -hmm. like a license into a a dialogue right conversation and so that time uh cca offered tuition remission what does that mean uh to give you certain amount of units per semester as part of your benefits package so it was, I think, six units a semester that I w- would be covered um, as a full-time employee. Right. And so it was a thing that they dangled in front of all the employees at the time, and most people couldn't take an advantage of it because of scheduling conflicts. Um, but my position being flexible, I was able to really utilize it and you know, get through the program in a more timely manner. How long did it take you to earn your MFA while you were working? Four years. So, which is standard is two years. Yeah. Um, but some, you know, staff members either couldn't complete it or they did it in six or seven years. Wow. Um, you know, it was challenging. I mean, full-time work on top of, you know, going to class and then going to the studio late night to produce work. Um, and it's also a different kind of thinking, um, which is good and bad. Good because you can just shut off like 
you know, your work work when you're in the studio. Right. Bad when you're dreaming about your studio <laughs> in a work work scenario. Right. It can make it a little more like uh, suffering through the the boredom yeah, maybe. definitely makes it hard to sit in through some meetings so yeah and in in that moment during that time and also looking back do you view that as your kind of uh chrysalis phase so to speak the transformative stage of you going from somebody who you know loved art and and design and creative to kind of transforming into wanting to be an an artist in the in the more kind of traditional sense what was kind of going on for you over those years uh during grad school yeah yeah, for sure. I think when I applied and got in, I just made a commitment that this was something that I was serious about and, and wanted to do. Um, and definitely started thinking more of myself as an artist. Um, and I don't know, it, it was tough because like most people there knew me as a staff member. Right. And it was confusing for advisors, for students. Um, to understand like where I fit in, so it was really only me and like a couple other people that were doing this, yeah, kind of track. And so, what happened after you got this degree? Did you say, "Hey, I'm going for it. I'm going to be a, a a fine artist. I'm going to be a, a gallery artist, and I'm going to just figure out whatever I need to do to support that"? Did you go back and get a full time job? What What was the next kind of stage? Well, the next stage. You know, uh, I just, my mistake was I, I continued working there. I should have left um, right when I graduated. And yeah, why do you say that that was a mistake? Well, I, I felt like I, w- I should have just like continued a momentum. Um, you know, when you are in a certain kind of mindset and you're having a certain kind of dialogue uh, and you stop that, it, it's hard to c- pick up pick up the pace um and so i had some like i don't want to say issues but it was like my my dad was really sick at the time and so it was hard to you know really be selfish and like you know dig into my studio practice and so i felt like i just needed to work and my free time instead of going to the studio i'd like go home and so you know life intervenes at like just weird moments that you you never expect. Right? Yeah. Was and, it that kind of uh survival instinct? I know I've felt it at different points in my career and life of like, well, you know, I, I, I can't be in debt. I need money, you know, maybe for my family and, and I just need to have that work thing locked up so I can focus the rest of the energy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was also a point in my life where I didn't know where I wanted to live. Did I want to stay in San Francisco? Should I move on to another city? Um, like that next year I spent a lot of time traveling and trying to figure out where I would like to move or possibly move where I can fit in. And it just didn't feel right to move since my dad was ailing. And so, you know, it was kind of like this weird, uh, start stop moments. Mm-hmm. And so like it went on like that for a couple of years where I was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and did you stay in that same it role? I did. And, you know, and then being done with school, I felt like I was just more like bummed out, like being there, you know? You had this carrot dangled in front of you of like this creative life and conversation and then that just dropped away. Yeah, it- I mean, I was still making work, not as like 
prolific. Um, it's like more reading and and you know still would go to art shows and stuff like that, but I wasn't being as productive in the studio. Um, I felt like my head was being taken up by you know other thoughts. Yeah, life, life. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about our new sponsor. They're called Soothe, and it's the leading on-demand massage service. Now, you might think making ways, creative careers, massage, how are these things all connected? Well, I'll tell you. Self-care and being kind to yourself and giving yourself time to daydream, time to exercise, time to sleep well and eat right and see friends and family and also get physical care is so important to the creative process and it's so important to being productive and getting great work done so i'm really excited to offer you all 20 dollars off your first booking with soothe if you go to soothe.com you can download the app and it's really amazing they will come to your house so all of this is at your home they can come to your office it's all on demand they can be there as soon as one hour from when you sign up for it. And they've got everything they need to show up at your house or your office or even your hotel to recreate the spa experience in that place. So they bring the linens and the music and the oils and everything. So check out Soothe. Go to Soothe.com. Use the offer code MAKINGWAYS for $20 off your first booking. Let me know what you think. It's sponsors and partners like Soothe that make bringing this podcast to everyone for free possible. So I'm so excited to have Soothe on board. I hope you'll check them out. That's Soothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com. Okay, now let's get back to the show. Today, you, you show in galleries, you make work pretty frequently, painting, sculpture, found art, and, and more photography, videography. You're really a multidisciplinary artist. And then you also have these really amazing kind of creative freelance projects or ongoing roles. You're working with Fjern. Am I saying it right? That's right. Yeah. The um, San Francisco-based uh, chair and furniture company as they're really kind of like head of creative design, all of that. And then you also work with San Francisco uh, MoMA, SF MoMA, to do videography of their shows and, and all of this stuff. So it's a, a really kind of exciting uh, kind of puzzle and pie of all of this kind of creative energy you're putting out, both for yourself and with clients. What were the years leading up to at least this kind of moment where there's some balance in the force and, and things are kind of, you know, running at a certain speed? Yeah. And so when I left CCA, well, so my dad passed away. I'm so sorry. And it was a crazy year. So my father passed away and then my grandmother passed away like two months afterwards. Was and she it, in the Philippines or was she here? here? Okay. And so I had to like arrange like two funerals almost in a row. Oh my like gosh. I spent a lot of time in the hospital. And then later on that year, my father-in-law passed away. Um, so it was really like a traumatic like, you know, year. This was like 2013. That was all in one year? All in one year. Yeah. And so it was really hard to care about an art practice or, you know, really care about anything other than like being with your family. Yeah. And, and so I was like, I, you know, 
was kind of at a loss as far as like the things that I thought mattered didn't matter. Like I had to change priorities. Yeah. Like I knew I wanted to be near my family. So then I started thinking more like, well, I, I don't want to move right now. Not yet. And, but I knew I didn't want to be at CCA any longer because I wasn't happy there. Yeah. And, but at I this point know, you'd been there for six years, seven years. Oh geez. I'd been there. Yeah. Like longer. I was like close to 10 years. Wow. At that point. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was long. Yeah. So, cause yeah. So almost 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, I went from like thinking I was going to be there two years <laughs> right? and 10 years, but that place gave me a lot of things like an education. I met my wife indirectly through there. I had so many friends. That's it's a great, great place. Yeah. Um, but it was time to go. And, but it was really scary, you know, like, what do I, I didn't know what to do. Like being there, being at one place for so long, your skill sets become unique to that one institution. Right. Organization. Um, so I had to kind of think about like, well, what are the like left field ideas I had that I wanted to try out? Um, and I had some inkling that I wanted to learn animation. Mm-hmm. And do more video work. And so I pretty much abruptly quit. Um, (laughs) Without really a specific plan? Not like a solid plan. I had like a general plan where I was like, you know what? Uh, I had this like grant at this time or I was working with my friend Matt on this proposal um, at Southern Exposure to do this fictitious business and because they were interested in a project that would maybe talk about the oncoming gentrification of the mission district and, you know, tech companies and startup culture. And, and I thought it could be interesting to actually start a startup with it as an art project Mm. Um, and steal like ideation tools from like IDEO. But, invite their art community to help you know ideate on what that business plan would be yeah so i had this whole project that i had proposed and then that actually didn't get um pushed through okay and so i was like oh my god now what now what do i do (laughs) and i actually started collecting like furniture and like actually i got uh, a dba name like parachute creative oh right yeah Yeah. yeah. and so i had because i was like more interested as an art project or as an artist starting a business instead right. of like a business person starting a business. Yeah. I was like, what would like a business or what would a startup look like as an art project? Right. And so that's how I frankly got into <laughs> doing what I'm doing now. And you were so excited about it that when, you know, the, the funding uh, or the project didn't specifically happen, you was, still were, were super pumped about it. Yeah. I was, I, was, I still had, actually had some furniture <laughs> and I like made space in my studio to like start this office. I started acquiring tools and, you know, I was think you know, started nurturing the idea about animation. Cause thinking about like, you know, video content um, was getting really popular. Um, you know, platforms were starting to support it like Instagram. Yep. And, and so I taught myself After Effects and stop motion animation. I started working with some recently uh, recent grads of the animation program at CCA. Yeah, 
and we eventually worked on a project together. I went independent, started my right. own marketing firm. We worked on a animated video for Soundhound, which was so fun. Yeah, and you know, like there's a lot of trial and error, and like you know, you put in more time than you actually make money. But it, it was a, you know, like a, a new thing. So I, yeah, and I understood that like I'm acquiring new skills and now speaking a different language. Um, but simultaneously, while I wasn't making any money, I was still making, I started picking painting back up and I started making video work and starting to like learn different things um, about image making. And, you know, but slowly but surely I would like get a new gig here. And then someone's like, oh, do you know how to, you know, capture video or can you take product shots? Right. And I would know enough. And if I didn't know enough, I would like teach myself that. And so I just looked at it as this opportunity to like do the things that I always complained about other other people. Like I would like, you know, talk shit about other people not doing that thing that they wanted to do. And I was like, well, I need some groundwork. And so just... I don't know. Yeah. You just kind of figure it out. You know what I mean? What were the specific ways that you did figure it out though? Did you just open up the programs and learn and, and trial and error photography? Did you take online classes, tutorials, YouTube videos? All of it. Well, but it always started with like either a project paid or unpaid. uh, Meaning like I would just like give myself a project. Yeah. But it's always helpful if you actually are working towards a goal. Yeah. Um, it always is too boring to like just sit and watch a tutorial. Yeah. And so you have to get your hands dirty and like feel the learning while you're, while you're doing it. Right. Like, you know, like those Linda learning videos, right. They're great for an overview to understand like the tools and layout beyond that. It's like, it's kind of hard, tough to sit and learn that way. Um, I found it easier to get started that way, but then, um, actually assign yourself a project and then if you get stuck just youtube it <laughs> there's amazing like kids on there that just tell you specific tricks and and then you i don't know you just end up doing it and it's i mean slow at first and then you right. end up picking up the pace you know? and were there things that you thought you were interested in and you'd learn and you'd do the project and then you'd realize I never want to do that again and other things where you're like oh i, I really just want to focus on this like or was it did everything just become a tool in the toolkit that you would eventually offer for clients? Yeah, I mean, definitely there were processes that I learned that were just too time-consuming. That wasn't going to be like a good way to execute it. So I just tried to steer clear from mm-hmm. that direction. Um, and you know, if I'm proposing like ideas, I would you know know what not to propose. Right, right. Well, that makes sense. And what do you what do you tell people now that they can hire you for? <laughs> what do you what do you put out there? Um you know, it's weird like I haven't been telling people <laughs> cuz I have my hands in so many things at the moment that uh I haven't been very like um I don't know, sharing. Sure, yeah. sure. Um but yeah, I do a lot of like my my contract part-time gigs are like freelance video work um editing um so i'd done like 
some videos for Instagram for SFMOMA. And I currently work with Catist Art Foundation. They were a Paris-based um, nonprofit um, exhibition space. They have an amazing art collection, and I do video production for them. Their location here in San Francisco is on 20th and Folsom, okay. right on the corner. And did you connect with them just through your being an artist out in the community? Or? Yeah, I, I go to a lot of their events and, you know, they'd reached out to me and asked if I was interested in helping produce some of their content. And they, I, I said yes, because I'm a neighbor also. Right. I live down the street from them and very convenient. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, main reason was it was a great chance to meet the artists that they bring through. There's, they have an artist residency and uh, a lot of international artists come by there and, and do exhibits, artist talks. Um, mm-hmm. They have events, performances. Um, it's a great little space. Yeah. And you, you shoot all these videos, you edit them, you do kind of the, the visual design of them. And then at, at Fjern, which is, you know, kind of a new kind of company, they're trying to, be very kind of ethical in the way that they produce the furniture and the way they run the business there you're doing like pretty hardcore you know graphic design package design almost back to that yeah maybe a little bit back to the the, the toy company packaging um, yeah you know s- some of that work so talk to me about that company and and your role in it and kind of what's going on there yeah so you know uh, my brother-in-law ross he comes from a long line of uh, furniture makers. His grandfather actually um, helped revive um, this Hitchcock chair, which is okay. a really popular, you know, arts and crafts era um, New England chair. Mm-hmm. Um, has this like rush seating, um, little painted little designs on. Um, if just you look up Hitchcock chair, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. Cool, yeah. But so Ross uh, at that time was doing a, a lot of high end cabinetry work. And wanted to step away from that. And he had this um, furniture system that he was developing. And, you know, at that time, he wasn't my brother-in-law yet. He was dating my sister. And we would have a lot of conversations, especially during that, you know, crazy year, 2013, where just a lot of family um, sadness uh, when we'd have, you know, some good conversations about, like, well, what would we want to do? Um, all the things that we thought, you know, were not right with the world and whatnot, having, starting that conversation there and then, you know, uh, helping him out like little by little, like take a photo of a chair here, take a photo of that there. And then eventually helped him start strategizing about how to, you know, collect all of this and put it together to like start a website. Um, you know, they need a catalog, they need whatever you name it. Mm-hmm. I do it. <laughs> I mean, there's only what, six of us. There. Okay. Um, and so I do everything but furniture for fear. And then how much of your time and headspace is dedicated to now your own work and, and creation? I just went to a, a show of yours, I think it was a couple weeks ago um, at Minnesota Street Project. And which gallery was that in? Bass and Reiner. Bass and Reiner. Minnesota Street, yeah. Yeah. 
And so I'm curious, yeah, what what's kind of the bandwidth and actually like the time that you can carve out for your own work? You know, some weeks like I'll be working on fear and stuff almost full time um, just because there's a deadline to hit. Like we were, we were just at, in New York for ICFF, this um, design furniture fair. And so there was a lot of work a couple months prior to that to produce collateral, um, you know, update the website to its new version, take a bunch of new product photos, et cetera. Yeah. And so my time would just be occupied. And then, you know, sometimes I can't say no to new projects too. And and it's tough when you're, you know, still in this mindset of like, you know, being hungry for things and you right. just say yes. And, um, and, and so, yeah, it, it's tough then to make time for the studio practice, but yeah, I usually try to carve out uh, time at the end of the day. Like I'll go late in the studio or I'll go eat dinner and then I'll come back. Um, and then some weeks, you know, it's all free because, you know, like I don't, there's not, there's only so many products that can be taken pictures of and right. the, the website's up and running and, you know, there's downtime for that. And then I switch gears. Right. Um, so it's hard to say, like sometimes it's full time, my studio, sometimes that fear. And now I have to juggle in uh catist with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's, what's the theme or kind of the, the underlying message, I guess, you know, traditionally it's called the, what, like the artist statement. I don't, I don't necessarily like want that recited, but, um, you know, what's kind of driving you from, uh, you know, artist, fine art kind of perspective these days? Cause it has so many different expressions, your work, I guess, in, in mediums. What do you think is kind of connecting it all for you or what, what are you trying to uncover or, or, or ask of an audience as you're you're making. I'm mainly interested in in identity. You know, um, might not seem like it from the surface because, like you said, the the work is very varied in media and you know looks. Um, but underneath it all, it's it's this like exercise or quest to you know in thinking about like identity, like how we produce um products objects that reflect who we are you know not just as a specific society or race um but as people you know people make things and it's always a reflection of that maker Mm -hmm. or that brand or that company or that nation Mm -hmm. um and so it to me it doesn't make any sense to stick to one kind of media or one kind of image uh, or object when you're talking about identity because it's so wildly different yeah depending on the context or the framework you're talking about um and so the show that you saw recently has a bunch of sculpture um that has this like gray specific gray color um and there are a lot of objects that i collected a lot of them are ready-mades and just things I buy or find or someone gives me. And I paint them all this primer gray just to evacuate that color. And so you focus on the form and, you know, pairing them together. I feel like you, then you start meditating about like, well, what are these objects? Who are they made for? Like I think about who made it first in the, in the systems, these global systems that we've created that are so complicated mm-hmm. that 
I think about the person in a boardroom somewhere thinking about like, oh, you know, we really need these candelabras. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's contact our, you know, manufacturing plant in China and get like a thousand units of these by, you know, first quarter. Right. And then we're going to distribute it in these channels. And then, you know, they're thinking about like, who's going to buy it. And then I think about all the hands that it exchanges and like the path that it travels around the globe and it ends up somewhere, you know, here mm-hmm. and then someone buys it and then, you know, it, mm-hmm. well, and then what does that say about the person that, you know, purchases it, keeps in their home when you have an object that you keep, that you buy and then you keep and you showcase that shows a little bit about who you are, mm-hmm. right? It's like the car that you drive or the clothes that you wear. Um, and so it's really hard to, you're really grasping when you're talking about like identity. You're grasping at like this big thing. Like how do I talk about me? Mm-hmm. How do I talk about you? Um, and so I'm trying to just create this open-ended question. Yeah. Um, and I always like to think that at some point, there's going to be some anthropologist alien that's going to encounter Earth <laughs> right. when we're all long gone uh-huh. and like not have any idea like what this stuff is. Right, no context for anything. Correct. Yeah. And so th- when I arrange my stuff together, I, I think of myself as like some kind of alien anthropologist trying <laughs> to piece together the puzzle, but it, like getting it completely wrong. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that, I mean, that's really it. It's just... The thread is is you know who we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even the public art piece I did in Chinatown, um, how it relates to my the rest of my studio practice is that I specifically chose common bathroom tiles that are like one inch by one inch, very common objects, um, but were the colors were specifically matched to the neighborhood, and. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 because I want you to describe it. It was this incredible um, uh, tile installation design on, on on the steps, yeah. This is on in um, near Portsmouth Square in Chinatown off of Kearney um, between Washington and Clay Street where the Hilton Hotel is. Um, on the bridge, there's a land bridge there. And there's a staircase leading up to the Chinese culture center um i created this tile mosaic of a sunrise because that location um was actually the when the well let's just say the foundation of san francisco yeah back in the day when you know san francisco was um, the hamlet of yerba buena mexico um this ship that was sent by the u.s navy the uss portsmouth that the the namesake of the park was sent there and they arrived and where Kearney Street is, that used to be the beachhead. And so uh, Portsmouth Square has always been this public space. Um, and when I was doing research about the area and thinking about a project to propose, I'd gone there really early and saw the sun trying to peek through behind a Transamerica building mm. and realized that when you're facing a staircase, you're facing true east. And I took out my compass on the phone, and sure enough, it was east and um, that made me realize like, you know, what came before, you know, and thinking about the future, what's going to be there. The sun, the sun has always risen there at that point and will always rise there beyond San Francisco's lifetime. 
And so I thought, what a great visual metaphor, you know, to talk about like the varied and disparate history of that specific location. It's really intense. I mean, you know, that's where the original city hall was. Mm-hmm. There's a little plaque uh, when you enter the Hilton that shows it was like the Jenny Lynn Theater and then became City Hall, the Hall of Justice. Um, so many different uh, immigrant communities have been there from, you know, Chinese Americans to Filipino Americans. Um, it was really great to be able to come to that conclusion and, and find that right visual, that, that perfect image to use because very hard to hate on the sun, you know, like we could all get <laughs> under the sun, right? And um, it's a very important symbol for many cultures. And um, that's great. Yeah, it's an incredible piece. And I encourage people to check it out and I'll link to it and share photographs of it for sure with the with this conversation. Now that you've been at it for a few years, this kind of mix of your own work and client work and all of that, what have you learned about being independent? What do you love? What do you hate about it? What has kind of gotten you through those more challenging times, either where you have you know, too much or you have too little that you think might be helpful for people listening who are trying to maybe carve out more of an independent idea for their career like like you've been up to? I would say like definitely take care of yourself, you know, like pace yourself, you know. Things work out in in weird ways. Things are not very immediate sometimes when it's overwhelming and there's too much work. Just pace it, you know, um, be upfront and transparent with people you're working with and just understand like your limitations too. When it's, you know, lean and there's not much coming your way, that's sometimes the most creative time because you have a lot of room to do whatever, right? And so you can't get bogged down and just worrying and, you know, thinking about like the future. Um, you know, you can do a little bit of that, but I feel like when you start wallowing in that, it's so not helpful. Yeah. Um, How do you put aside the worry of, you know, money? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just that little thing. I do my little bit by like, you know, reaching out to people. You know, I'll start out my day reaching out to people and thinking about like, um, what are those things that I can do in case money doesn't come, mm-hmm. but I'll kind of cut, have a cutoff point in my day. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to read or I'm going to paint or draw and I'm going to do something other than like sit there and worry. Yeah. You know, or, or just watch videos or, right. you know. But you do have kind of a plan B or C, at least somewhere in the back of your mind that, you know, I'm going to keep some conversations live because if I have to, I can lean in this direction for some income to bridge this time or that time. Yeah, correct. And, you know, that's how I've been able to like pivot too. Cause I'm, you know, I'm like, well, okay. It was just really difficult to make this animation and, um, and it's not like it's coming in, you know, in droves right now. So I'm going to learn a little more in capturing video, but it's just like, don't, stress out too hard you're you'll always find a job if if money is just the object of your game then you can find that job right right um you know whether you get a part-time gig or you temp 
And then you, that translates to full-time work if that's what you want to do. And that's right. great. You know, as long as you know that that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, but don't lose focus on the, the fact that you want to be independent, that you made that decision too. Um, you know, that, that was very key for me. I had to remind myself that I made that call and that you just have to be comfortable with that decision. Right. That, and you trust yourself too. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Nick, thanks so much. It was really great to talk to you in this context. We do, we do hang out, but it was, it was really wonderful to hear more about your story and, and get your perspective on all these things that we, we don't talk about yeah. <laughs> on the regular. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Mick. Thanks. That was my conversation with Mick Gaspe. Mick, thanks so much for joining the show and sharing so much of your story and your background and what you have gone through in your career and your, and your personal life as well to get to where you are today. I hope everyone listening was able to take away some great lessons from Mick's story. And you all should check out MickGaspe.com. You should also check out Fjern.com. And I'm going to have the links to all of these awesome resources online to check out more of Mick's work and the projects and companies that he works with at Making Ways official site, which you can get to by typing in makingwayspodcast.com. If you haven't yet, please consider firing up Apple Podcasts and writing a review. It's a really important way for more people to discover the show. And heck, if you're listening and you like Making Ways, send it along to a friend, a family member, a colleague, maybe a team at work that you think will find inspiration in these stories that we're sharing. It means a lot to us. We put a lot of work into each episode, into finding the right people to share stories with you all and sharing it with your friends and helping us build more of a community around the show would be amazing. So please pass Making Ways along. Making Ways intro music is by The Sandworms and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix too. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.